This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. Zero Procure takes the time to understand your business, whether in hospitality or any other industry, and do all the heavy lifting when it comes to procurement. I'm delighted that their support will keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on the link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guests are Jen and Seb Healy-Wiggins, founders of the rather awesome Spirit of Manchester Distillery. Coming up on today's show... Jen gives us a strategy to get round life's dramas. We just lined so, up about 25, it was, it, 30 yeah, gins. Was... Phil talks about pirates... Well, actually, when you say it out loud, it does sound like what pirates say, doesn't it? Wow. And Seb describes what setting up a distillery is like. It was the non-shitting crying baby we didn't know we needed. All that and so much more as we chat through the epic journey so far of the Spirit of Manchester Distillery. Jen and Seb give us so many amazing snippets from their story and it serves as a great insight into what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur. Start with the passion and tenacity and take it from there. Stay tuned to the end as they give all you lovely listeners a sneaky deal, giving you the opportunity to try out their world-class drinks firsthand. Please don't forget to give us a like, share and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, your host, Phil Street. Today, we're doing something a little bit different on two fronts. One, we're having a chat with an organisation who creates some absolutely world-class drinks. And two, we have two people to chat to instead of one. All this change makes me just a little bit giddy. So not only that, their story sounds like it's an absolute belter as well, one of evolution, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, at some point. So I am delighted to welcome the founders of the Spirit of Manchester Distillery. I see what you did there. Jen Healy-Wiggins and Seb Healy. Well, it, it, it's still technically Seb Healy for now, until we can be bothered changing it to yeah. Seb Healy Wiggins. So, oh, okay, you're yeah, going for the, you're going for the double like, barrel. The recent marriage, yeah, we're we're yeah. both changing our names. Excellent. So, thank you for having. Me. You're very welcome. How are you, anyway? Good. Yeah, we've had a nice sort of relaxing trip not away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not as hot as we were last week, and you know, enjoying the blissful life that is marriage. There you go. I'm hoping he's not saying that with a hint of sarcasm in his tone. Uh, we've only been married six, six weeks, weeks, five weeks. Got you. Yes. Well, I mean, I I don't know about you, but we were together for a long time before we got married, and then we got married, and it did feel like it made a difference. Like it just uh, there was something I can't put my finger on what it was, but I don't know. No, yeah. we're moving on. Uh, no, we've been together nine, nine and a bit years now. We've obviously grown a business, which we'll talk about. You know, we've got a small child, so I think we're already pretty locked in. <laughs> uh, which, whichever way you look at it, that was romantic. Right? I really romantic. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, we planned our wedding five years ago. Jen got pregnant, and then you know the dreaded C word came about. Yeah. So you know, we'd got to the point where I mean, I was already wearing my wedding ring, and I have done for the last two years because it was just sat in a drawer rotting, and thought, well, I might as well put it on. So yeah, I don't know. That's how locked in you were. That's how locked in I was. <laughs> 
Uh, well, I, I suppose before we turn this into a podcast about marriage, we should <laughs> probably go back on, on point uh, a little bit. Where are you recording from today? It looks like uh, a very interesting building you're in. Yeah, so we're in our office, which is one of six uh, railway arches that we occupy uh, in the centre of the city. So we're in Manchester City Centre, underneath the main kind of conference centre in the city, which is Manchester Central. And we have six grade two star listed railway arches that all interconnect, that were derelict for decades, yeah. uh, essentially. And they were all a bit, all a bit manky inside. That was and, and so, yeah, we um, we were after a city centre kind of location and uh, met the chief exec of Manchester Central, who are our landlords, and came to see them and well, effectively signed on the dotted line. So we opened in September 2019. Not uh, ideal. No. And we have, so we have six railway arches. One is our office. We've got uh, one, one and a half, which is our kind of distillery and production area. And then the rest is our kind of customer facing element, which is our cocktail bar, three little words. Brilliant, yeah. And well, at, at grade two, historically, are really easy buildings to work with as well, aren't they? Yeah, but it's just because with it being a grade two star, you know, there's things like when we've got above our head air conditioning units that weigh 30, 40 kilos each, you're only allowed to screw into mortar. And that mortar is, you know, 80 years old. Yeah. The yeah, best yeah. point uh, for something that could kill you. So. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it and a lot of red tape in terms of what you can and can't do in the building. I think we've done a great job. We've opened them all out. So, you know, what we're keen with our distillery and when we moved our distillery to here was that you don't need to come in to watch us. At that point, it was just make gin and vodka. But, you know, we've obviously got all the products now. But you didn't need to come in. You could just literally press your nose against the glass and see, you know, me and the other distillers working away. Or you could come in have a gin and tonic. You won't see Seb working away. Uh, <laughs> wow. Except trying the drinks just to make sure yeah. that they're on point. Yeah. Listen, taste testing is very important. Or you can come on the full experience, make your own bottle of gin, go through the whole distillery, see the tour and everything else. So the idea was to be as open as and, and, and as honest about what we do in the distillery. Brilliant. Well, and this is all sounds like it's part of kind of where you are now. But there's obviously a whole backstory as to how it even kind of got off the ground. How did you, what were you doing before you got into this? Because this is not something that you you've just like come out of uni or school and gone, yeah, we're going to do that. You've uh, you've had careers before this. Yeah, I mean, it, I I say exited the business for what about eleven months? What business? This business when we were building the distillery. Oh right, yeah. So I spent my previous career was in property development. So I would build. Well, I say I. That's overplayed my manual labor i would sort of project manage builds from five to 50 houses in terms of an office-based role that was very much work with architects work with planners do the design get planning applications through and so yeah this was one of the one times in the business i was useful building this place because that was you know my sort of bread and butter growing up i was going to say growing up as a child but growing up into the world of work so that's what i did yeah i used to work in marketing so I've worked. In, I started my career in finance. I'm finance. That's why you get to do all the accounts. <laughs> yeah, I started my career in finance and I moved to a marketing agency and did kind of account management for a marketing agency and then went client side and worked for an insurance company and Booper uh, and then went back to running a, a small digital agency again before starting this. Right. So. 
It's an interesting combination, finance and marketing. That's they yeah. don't, they're not historically. I realize finance is really boring. What right. <laughs> are you doing it to realize it? Well, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But very essential to yes. uh, to, yeah. to business. And I suppose now you, you know, that will give you a bit of grounding as a business owner that you've got this yeah. knowledge of how finance works. And definitely, it's definitely helped. And yeah. it means that I don't have to do any of it. So, which yeah. is a plus point. <laughs> So does that mean that you've you've kind of automatically got your kind of natural roles that you would navigate to uh, as a result? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you You said yes and then laughed. So there's, yeah, some, there's something I, here. Well, I'm not allowed to deal with anyone in tax. Period. Uh, mainly, mainly period, yeah, uh, in tax. HMRC. Anything that requires a degree of bureaucracy, so I'm not allowed uh, anywhere near. <laughs> I see. I, I'm getting a hint of character here. Yeah. So I was just about allowed to do the planning because that was what I spent my life doing. But uh, yeah, sometimes I can be. But I would say more short. More more than that. Like I always say, like my weaknesses are definitely sub strengths. Yeah. Which is why we work very well together. We spend 24 hours a day yeah. together, so we, you know. It's, we have to work well together, yeah. but we, yeah, I uh, far more kind of practical and logical, and I think you're. I'm an ideas man. <laughs> <laughs> in in like, your own head, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Of it, yes. Even my kind of the roles that I did in marketing, they were all very kind of analytical and planning. So that's kind of naturally where my strengths are which is more of the back office side of things serves more kind of production problem solving mine's very much kind of the back office side of things so it's naturally how we separate the business i would say yeah it's it takes a, a very special couple to actually work together as well and I'd, I'd say that as the son of a husband and wife who did just that and i'm sure you have your moments but what couple doesn't have the moments anyway yeah. right uh, but uh, yeah the difference is is that you've got to kind of brush it under the carpet quite quickly and yes. move, move yeah. on. Like you said, obviously you're going to have your moments and whatnot. I, I think we probably have a lot, a lot less than a lot of other people, but I think that's ultimately like you were saying, why we started a business together. You know, we didn't accidentally start a business together. We always, and our ambition was before we were going to open a gin distillery, we were doing, we, we, we were going to open a bar in the Northern Quarter, which is a, a part of Manchester. Right. And, I was getting my boss to try and buy the building to redevelop into apartments and ground floor commercial. And effectively, we were going to take the commercial element. He was going to sell the apartments and then I would, you know, sign off. He didn't know this at the time. I was going to sign off from the business. I was, right. quite, I was quite adamant we should buy that building. And he said, I don't see what the attraction is. I was like, listen, it's good. Yes, it's all, it's, this is my plan. Yeah. I'm just not going to tell um, you what that plan is. Yeah, it was in doing research for opening a bar. We were put in touch with one of my dad's friends in Sheffield who was taken around. He has 10 bars in Sheffield, 10 or 11, I'm not sure. And he was taken around that back operation. And it was in this one bar. He said, do you like gin? And we said, we love gin. And he said, well, follow me. I'm making it in the back room. And in what must have been no bigger than a two and a half by two and a half meter room with no windows, there was a this poor man sat there in a darkened room uh, making gin on a, I think it was a 30 litre still. And that was where we sort of, well, we say that our proverbial light bulb moment came for making gin because we thought, probably like most people do, that it's made in a big distillery with 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 litre stills. Yeah, like a commercial scale type yeah. setup. So yeah. to, on such a small scale and it'd be, you know, achievable. We were literally on the train on the way home 
registering all the domain names, finding out how we apply for licenses and, and ultimately trying to build that business from there, which was in July 2015. Mm -hmm. Yeah, July 2015. Because we thought, well, while we're waiting for this building that we're obviously going to move to and open a bar, yeah, will it'll how long can it take to open a gym brand? Two, three months. We thought we would do it on a Sunday. Put the still on on a Sunday. <laughs> get some meat, cheese, and bread, and sit and read the Sunday papers, and you know, wait for the store to yeah. to produce all these bottles of gin. And we did once do it on a Sunday, and yeah. we did get some meat, cheese, and bread. I think you know it. It took us, I think thirteen, uh, no, ten. I can't remember. It's just shy of a year to to go from the idea to actually having the first bottle out. And, you know, luckily for us, we had a lot of, there's a lot of camaraderie in the city and there's a lot of people supporting local businesses in the city. And I think, we, you know, we were lucky to benefit from that. Well, I don't think we said our first product was called Manchester Gin. So, you know, already had that local connection. It was distilled, bottled and labelled in Manchester. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people didn't know at that point, it was distilled, bottled and labelled in our dining room. Which Whatever we, works. Well, we elevated this small distillery we saw in Sheffield and we put it in a three metre by four metre room. So, you know, really, a really a large scale distillery. Upscaling, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> at Wendy, which is our first still, would make 105 bottles of gin each distillation. And yeah, it kicked off, I think, very quickly for us. And in, in the, well, I say in the end, I think two months in, we were having to distill through the night which meant going to work, sorry, coming home from work, load, cleaning and loading the still, turning on at seven, going to bed at 11, getting up at two, getting up at four, getting up at six. Crikey. Take it in turns. Yeah, you would, yeah, you'd split shift it. So someone does the two and the six, someone mm -hmm. does the four. Yeah. And then you turn it off at seven, go to work, come home. We used to hand write all our labels with batch, bottle and distillers on. So you'd have to write all those, have dinner, do some dilution of the gin, then go and start filling and labeling about what i don't know we have to clean it... the bottles yeah we have to clean them. the bottles yeah 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 it was, it was not a, a lean no it wasn't production model by any stretch yeah it sounds like it was preparing you for parenthood to be honest it was <laughs> it was the non-shitting crying baby we didn't know we needed <laughs> but it's um i suppose it's it's one of those things you it's one thing to have an idea right it's another thing to know that you passionately want to do this and you've got to be, want to passionately do something like that. That's making you break your sleep you yeah. know, and get up and do this, this I thing. Think, I think I, it, we, we always knew we wanted to open a business and, and you know, you know, you go back to our first date, we met, well, I say we met in a gym bar. Jen's first, I went up and said, what are you drinking? He said, gin and tonic. And that would have been okay. Had it not been for the fact we were in a rum tiki bar. Uh, and so I instantly mocked her decisions and then that led to this huge conversation. Our first three dates were in the bar in between where we both lived, which was called Atlas Bar. And that was, it had a much smaller gin selection than it has now. So I think it's still the biggest gin selection in Manchester. I think so, yeah. I think so. It's got about 800 now. I think it had maybe 40 back then because obviously there wasn't as many gins in. This is 2013. Yeah. And so us loving gin and we stole that menu and we wrote notes on that menu as, you know, we had a full key. S was spicy. C was citrus. H was herbaceous. H was herbaceous. Yeah. A D was dry. 
So we had a full key, and it was our ambition to go back for the first we three, stole four days. We stole the menu and took it home with us. Not that we advocate stealing menus no. anymore, <laughs> owning a venue now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rather than the, you didn't steal it, it was your inspiration. Yes, but we found that just before we moved into this new distillery. So it's right. actually hung in our distillery, and it just goes that we never knew we were going to make gin back then, but it goes to our love for that product way back then. So I think when you start making it at home and you really, you know, our fallback position was that if no one liked our gin, we'd have a hundred bottles of gin and a really expensive ornament in the shape of a copper still. <laughs> and, you know, it, so we went into it. With a little a, bit naive. Yeah, but I think. But that's good though, isn't it? Like, because otherwise, I mean, if you think it too much, you're like, yeah. oh, no, I'm not going to do that. It's too hard. Yeah. I mean, for the first year, I think we were at a gin event 46 weeks out of the 52 or something ridiculous. Yeah. Right. So again, you'd load the car up on Thursday night, go to work Friday, drive to the event Friday night, stay over Saturday, Sunday, stay over Friday night, Saturday night, come back home at 10, 11 at night, put the still on, get up through the night, go to work. I must have been a zombie for the last six months of my work because, yeah, you were completely yeah. sleep deprived. Seb was still working full time at this point. Right, yeah. So in his previous job, whereas our first bottle was out in May. First bottle came out 12th of May, 2016. And I'd quit my job by August because it just needed someone full time. Yeah. And turns out I'm far more structured She's and organized. far more employable. Uh, <laughs> if it all, again, you have to make that decision when one of you's quitting your job. One who's going to work harder. I'd probably have gone to three bars in a day drank with all of them and gone, what a day. Yeah. <laughs> and was a lot more diligent. And two, my role in property was so niche. And, you know, I'd worked up to a point where I was, you know, not badly paid by any stretch. But, you know, my role probably exists in one or two other development companies based on what I was doing or experience. Whereas Jen, right. eminently employable, always moved every two years and got a huge pay rise. So it was much easier for her if it all went tits up to go and be re-employed again. So, yeah. Right. My dad had heart failure when I told him. Not real heart failure. I was going to say, God, that 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 story took a turn. Yeah, when I I was saying to my dad, oh, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and do gym full time, he was like, what? (laughs) And my dad worked for the same company for 30 years. He was like, what? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. but that's the thing. I I have to, I've got to admire your tenacity for one to kind of, push through because I, I think as I said it's one thing to have an idea but then the reality of what you've kind of chosen kicks in a lot of people at that point go oh god this is this is too hard and then you've got the voices from outside as well going what are you doing this is madness and la 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 and all that sort of stuff so you know to to kind of work through that and 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 still kind of have this vision in your head that no this is this is it this is what we're going to do and we're going to be bloody yeah. good at it well, I think as stands from the first time, I say the first time Jen quit a job, when Jen quit a job three months in, we, I'm pretty sure, coined a phrase then that is still our business motto, still to this day. And it was, fuck it. Like, <laughs> what is the worst that can happen? Fuck it, let's do it. And it's the same when we built this new distillery. Fuck it. And it's the same. You just have to just both make a decision. We're very quick still in this business to make decisions on what we should and shouldn't do. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit later on about our, our, our moving into whiskey. But again, you like, I mean, it's the money whiskey eats up is unbelievable. And we're still getting through the pandemic and we're still coming out of it. And 
and then to go and invest nearly the same again, you just have to say, fuck it. Like, if you think it's genuinely the right thing to do, then, you know, I'd, well, I think we would rather, not that we want to fail, but you, you don't want to fail because you didn't do something. You might as well fail because yeah. you did something. And I think that pretty much stands for hmm. what we do. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, a, an absolute a saying that goes on a mantelpiece of any entrepreneur, right? You've, you've got to, you have to have the courage of your convictions. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, oh, everyone will tell you it's a mistake. Don't quit your very well paid. My boss laughed and I, and I still speak to him a fair bit when I got it. God, we both pulled uh, a bonus that both of me and Jen got into buying all of the equipment that we first started with. And I got it delivered to my office and my boss thought it was hilarious. Yeah. It's like you've just wasted your bonus on a big still. And I thought it wasn't that big, just this copper thing in the middle of the room. I was like, well, listen, it's my bonus. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And you know, had the expectation that we'd make probably 50 bottles and go, that was boring. And then just move on and, you know, quickly, you know, became apparent to a lot more people that actually, yeah, it's, it, this thing we were doing was, was seemingly working. So, yeah. So did you start with like one distill as a, in, in terms of a recipe that this one we like, it works and we're going to run with this now? Or did you have a selection in mind before you kind of, started going out to market yeah we um well we we went through a period of of research and development shall we say i I understand my favorite kind of research and development yeah definitely so we went out and we went to all the local kind of spirit shops and we just bought a huge selection all in the name of research Mm -hmm. uh, but a huge selection yeah (laughs) and at the time it was before we kind of actually renovated our house. Our house was a bit of a... A doer opera. It was a project. Yeah. And we had this really long kind of unusable kind of galley kitchen. And I think it was Friday or Saturday night. We just lined Saturday up afternoon. about 25, it was, it, 30 yeah, I think gins, was, different, yeah. different brands, different gins. And we had a glass in front of each bottle. And we poured a measure into each glass. And we basically started at one end of the kitchen. And just worked our way down to the other end, and we with our predisposed key that sees yeah, citrus, citrus yeah, analyze all the things, and, and basically from twenty six, we instantly got to the point where we're at twelve. Yeah, because... we just discounted twelve instantly. We're just like we do not like any of these. Yeah, uh, and we tried which, which ones? Which ones were they? Oh no, 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 we wouldn't. Have a... <laughs> no, 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 no. But. Sorry, I keep interrupting Jen, she's staring at me. Uh, <laughs> but gin is a personal preference. So yeah. just because we don't like a gin doesn't mean it's not a great gin. just means we didn't like it. So anyway. That's so, a, a um, good political response. Very good. But it is true. It our, is true. Oh, our shit. <laughs> um, yeah. But we don't, I mean, even, well, I'll come on to that in a minute, but we don't necessarily, you know, that we have suggested certs, but, but we always say everyone's palate is different. So you just got to find what you like and find how you like to drink it and, and go from there, really. So, yeah, we, we, we lined up all these gins. And we had a glass in front. And we put a, a, a measure into each glass and we worked our way down and, and tried them all neat, discounted 12 that we were just like, we do not like these. And then we tried all the ones that were left. We had a double measure and with tonic. And we tried all of them as a, as a double gin and tonic. And then I think from there we got down to four. No, it was three. No, it was six. Was so it we went six? from twelve to six, and then did it all again, but with a 
did another double again with a garnish this time, I think. Yeah. But at this point, you know, you're only three hours into the day and you've had a substantial amount of booze. The note-taking got significantly less. Squiffy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and does your palate change when you're under the influence as well? Because this is how we used to have this discussion at, when I was a student and I would drink uh, a Bulgarian Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> it can become a, a blinded, yes, mm-hmm. and it can be just be like, let's get about it. Yeah. So, yeah, you always start with a good bottle of wine and work your way down that price range. But, yeah, I think in the end we were left with three, which we can tell you because we don't we, we like them. So it's Tarquin's. I still don't know what it's called. I think it's Lemon Sherbet is what I call it because that's the descriptor. It's the one with the blue wax. Funk, uh, f- funky. Monkey. I was mixing Monkey, Monkey 47. And Have you been do- on the research and development already, have you? No, I haven't even had a drop today. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, what, 20 before? So that was the three we were left with. And then what you have to do then is look at what are some of the commonalities. I think two out of three of them, or three out of three of them, used almond, which is makes it a little bit sweeter, a little bit softer. We're quite fortunate. We've we've got very similar taste in gins, and what yeah. what we worked out was we like the same types of gins, which was citrusy, ever so slightly sweeter, and the sweeter notes it isn't from sugar or anything. It's the botanicals that use like licorice or almond that naturally make it feel a little bit sweeter. The almond in there gives it a, a little bit of viscosity, so a nicer kind of mouthfeel. It also kind of lengthens the flavour profile a little bit. Uh, and we kind of took all those elements. Uh, we also wanted a, a, a nod to our area. So we incorporate into all of our gins dandelion and burdock roots, which is a nod to our to the north, if you like. And, and from there is how we, we created our first bottle, which, was, which we call our signature gin. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, mouthfeel is some, is a word that I hear more and more these days. Mm. I, I even heard it when, when people were, I can't remember what I was watching, but they were, they were it was a, a water sommelier and they were talking about, yeah, indeed. Yeah, for, for those <laughs> who are only listening to this, Jen has just made a, a what? A puzzle face. <laughs> yes. That's a niche profession. Yeah, but they were, it's like everything. If you like, if you line waters up, bottled waters, we're talking. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sure, it's probably the same with tap water from all, all around the place, but mouthfeel is one of the things that that they look at. And actually, it's it's something that I hadn't heard of until about twelve months ago, and now all of a sudden, it's this is a this is a word that needs to be said more. Yeah, yeah. you find yourself gargling water, going, "I've got, yeah, I see what he was saying now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. in <laughs> indeed. So you've got your 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 signature product, which you're yeah. you're happy with, and you're out and about taking it to shows and things at this point in time. And so at this point, are you getting interest? As in, like, are you making good sales? Is it be, are you be, are you seeing a trajectory that's kind of on the up? And you think, yeah, right, this keeps us going, and this gives us you know the the launch pad for the next phase. It grew. I mean, we had a business plan that said we'd sell five thousand per year by the end of year three mm. and we were supposed to sell I think we wanted to sell a hundred a month in our first year so I think our first sales we project would be about a hundred dollars a month yeah so that's well, a franc say because you have to build up to the first set for the first month so I think we wanted a thousand bottles then we wanted was it a thousand then five thousand then eight thousand yeah so so that was our three-year projection to do a thousand year one five thousand year two and eight thousand year three i think i mean by christmas we must have done 
within the first four months, I think we were probably three and a half, four thousand. So, so wow. I think we we had signature. So I was the one kind of certainly in the first few months from from Mar from well definitely in fact for the first kind of six months or so I was the one that was going around kind of Manchester or or spirit shops uh, in the northwest and basically kind of drumming up sales, shall we say? So we could see that there was interest for our signature gin and, and definitely there was a, you know, there was people within the city centre and, and the Greater Manchester that were excited about a regional product. I think what really kind of catapulted us was our second product. So signature took us three, four months of development. Our second product that we released just before our first Christmas was raspberry infused. Yeah. That probably catapulted us I would say for the next kind of three two years realistically because I think we were quite early in the kind of flavored gin market yeah so if you think we're talking about it came out in December 2016 yeah I think in the flavored gin market category. there was some but yeah. it wasn't as yeah as much as probably what you saw two years ago so we were quite early in, into that so I think that's probably what helped kind of and I quit my job, so you know that. Yeah, probably. you quit your job in the uh, in July the first. Yeah, because it was right. in Bath, which is in London. So that, that was, was my well, first. You're all in now at this point. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck it. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. <laughs> Jen has to go get a job, and I'll run this in the garage. <laughs> I can't. I'm no. I'm no longer employable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am no longer employable. <laughs> I think that would be fair to say. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably. The kind of the second thing within our early in our um, our kind of uh, journey, if you like, that kind of catapulted the business. Yeah. Well, I can categorically say that that products that you have just discussed, <laughs> uh, you were very kind enough to send me a few samples before we had this chat. And uh, that raspberry infused is just delightful. I mean, yeah, I call it a, my day gin. Yeah, that's a day gin. It was a night gin. I think it's an incredibly versatile product, and I think you know possibly some other products that have, you, that you try nowadays that say this is a pink gin. It's like, well, what the fuck flavour is pink? Um, I don't that's understand that someone can call a gin a pink gin. Anyway, that's a fair comment, actually. Is that, what is, what's the attraction of something being pink if there's no there flavour? Hundreds of well, probably there's at least ten or twenty that I know are called that are just called pink. pink. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. So we're uh, we're immensely proud of that product, and I think you've still got that undercurrent of gin, which is you know you can't call it gin unless you have a, a predominant flavour of juniper berry, albeit no one's really properly enforcing that. And it's got a lovely subtle sweetness, but it is hugely versatile. So yeah, we're like Jen says, that is a a solid day <laughs> drinking responsibly. Obviously, we should obviously. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But if the sun's shining, there's nothing better than it. I personally. If the sunshine, have it with uh, a lemon tonic. It's just yeah. Well, you did give me a couple of serving suggestions with it, so uh, I'll, I'll be uh, taking advantage of the other one, which I haven't tried, which is actually with the lemon. So oh, there you go. So there we are. Now, now you're giving me an excuse to drink. <laughs> I also love the concept that there might actually be some juniper police out there, like uh, we just some juniper police. No, oh, there is something called the Gin Girl that is supposed to be upholding the law that was written in some anorak. I don't bloody know when it was written, but yeah, there's two rules for gin: it has to be over thirty-seven and a half percent, predominantly, and predominantly juniper berry. So again, when you see a zero alcohol gin, 
you shouldn't really put the word gin on. You can put yeah. gin non-alcoholic spirit, but you shouldn't call it a gin. Yeah. Right. Fantastic. Well, and with that statement, you've actually just made this an educational podcast now as well. Right. So, so we're kept, we're ticking off a load of boxes today. This is um, this is great. So, what happened next after you've got you've now got you've got two core products? So, actually, before we kind of get into that, I suppose what I want to understand at this point in time is really about the plan. Is this on plan at the moment, or are you, you know, in terms of what you initially conceptualized, or are opportunities presenting themselves like you want to? create the the raspberry infused gin that was something that you always had a plan to do or was it something that came late to the party our plan was to probably just have one make gin one product and you know when we because again with my building background i planned the extension to our house that we were supposed to do and we didn't know at that point when i did the drawings that we were going to open a gin distillery but then i edited all the drawings to hive off this section of our extension that was going to be our gin distillery. Right. By the time the plans had been drawn up, I'd submitted it for planning. It was already way too late because I'd only planned to have two pallets and we were now needing to move site, well, I say site, move into an actual formal distillery because, yeah, sales were completely outstripping what two people could do. You know, you needed dedicated people making the product, cleaning the stills, and then other people going out and selling the products. And so, yeah, I think... It snowballed very quickly and it soon became apparent that we need to start, you know, while you've got low overheads because you're doing it in your dining room, when you've got no space to bloody move, you, you can't make it. Fa- you know, we're fortunate that we've never actually turned down an order. And I think it was February 2017 when we sent our product to Crafting Club. 2018. That's when it came out. It was 2017 we had the chat because that's prompted me to leave my job. Sorry, you said sent the product. Sent the product to Crafting oh, Club. Tasting. The tasting. So right. Crafting Club is the the world's most. You're having an argument here now. <laughs> know, it's great. I was I was just about to grab the popcorn to be honest. But <laughs> was uh, so Crafting Club is and was the the biggest gin subscription service in the world. I think I think I'm right saying. Obviously, predominantly in the UK. Yeah. So we sent them our product, and they they used to have. Well, I think they still do have a three stage process of how you can get selected. First one is a blind tasting. Second one is. Yeah, whoever passes that and goes into the next round and then they try all these gins together and look at the packaging, I think. And yeah. then third one is the story. Then they go through all that and then they go, right, what's next? The story. And once you get through only and if you get through all three of those things, will they even contemplate replying to you? I mean, they must get sent hundreds of gin every year. Yeah. So they came back to us. We'd obviously got through all three stages and we were on the call. So I took half a day of work to have the call and we sat in our tiny dining room at the desk that we bought from IKEA for £18. Tax deductible. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then they had the call and then, you know, we thought they were going to ask for maybe two or 3000 and the order was 25000 Holy. Then think, oh, yeah. Holy. Yes. They give you 14 months and say, can you do it? And yes, yes, yes we, can. we can. And that yeah. was one of the things that prompted me to probably the week after say here's my notice yeah crafting club i think gave us the the platform and the and the and the reach we you know we suddenly we had you know a huge national reach rather than being quite regionally focused yeah. and also because of the volume that they wanted it allowed us to do our custom bottles so again we we were probably one of the early sort of craft distilleries that really had a custom bottle. And we worked with a, a, a glass manufacturer in Yorkshire to do it. So 
we kind of moved our bottle procurement from international sources to UK kind of home home market, if you like. Right. So it, it Crafting Club gave us a, a much bigger reach. It allowed us to do a custom bottle, which longer term helped when Brexit came along, not so far after that, which kind of helped as well. Yeah. So I think as well as the reach of Craft Gin Club, the, the release of a custom bottle as a craft distillery to have a custom bottle so early on, again, kind of really helped amplify us and put us on a different level to a lot of other craft distilleries that perhaps didn't have that craft nature of a bottle. Suddenly, people took notice of us and we were seen as far more credi- cred- credible. Yeah. Have you had a drink today? <laughs> Very know. good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It was another kind of pivotal moment, I think, us as a business. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it's a massive elevation and almost that moment whereby they say, yeah, can you do 25,000 bottles? Even if you couldn't, I'm sure you would have gone, yeah. Well, Matt, so the one thing my old boss always used to say to me when we were buying land or whatever was, if someone asked for 200 million, it's like, well, you know, we haven't got 200 million. But if it's worth it, you'll find a way to do it because you'll find someone that will partner with you or do something or... Always say yes. Always say yes and worry about fulfilling it later. Yeah. The general rule of thumb. And now we're moving it. This is an entrepreneurial podcast now as well. So I'm, I'm like, we're covering <laughs> so many bases today. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, like, it comes back to your ethos, right? Fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Can you do it? Yep. Yeah. I've squeezed Jen's leg under the table for her not to flinch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Fake it till you make it. That's the other one, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It never stops. So. so we did that and then we kind of went from dining room to a small distillery on the outskirts of, of Manchester city centre where a lot of the breweries are in, in Manchester. But it wasn't really somewhere you'd invite people, customers to. Other people invited customers. Yeah, it was a bit Taste of a... Road, let's say. It was okay. uh, Yeah. An um, up and coming area. Uh, uh, you, just, you, you know, it's it, not somewhere you would go to at night. Unless, Unless you were looking to procure certain services. Things. I see. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Noted. So, so we, um, yeah, as I, as I touched on before, we ended up meeting the chief exec of, of Manchester Central at a, at a kind of networking event. Charity event. Yeah, it's a charity event. And he asked if we did kind of customer tours because they wanted something for their delegates to do or to be able to direct, you know, when they do a lot of conferences and events to direct people to somewhere and I was like, we'd love to, but it's not a customer-facing area of Manchester. We're we're on the hunt at the moment. And he was like, we well, should come and come and see some uh, railway arches that we've got. So we we came down here February 2015. Yeah, and by April, I think we'd agree. Not February, sorry, July 20, 2015, 18. and by August we signed. Yeah, yeah, 2018. By August we signed. By the April 2019, we got the keys. And we were, were open September 2019. Right. Great. Just in time yeah. For, yeah. for 2020. Hey! Everybody's favourite year. Yeah. yeah. We've just borrowed just over a million from the bank to build the place. Yeah. Leveraged against our house. Yeah. And, you know, Bojo, it was, what, it was Monday the 16th of March, wasn't yeah. it? said don't go to bars and restaurants oh no do you know what you don't have to close and then but you don't have to close Mm -hmm. it's like well what fucking use is that yeah absolutely thanks for just taking away all of our revenue but um you know and no scope to survive it also took away we sell most of our product gin vodka whatever 
two bars and restaurants. So yeah, effectively, I, I was going to ask you that. Do you mainly sell, sell to, to trade? Yes. Yeah. And so it whacked that out. Jen cried for two hours watching the news and then you'd gone to bed and then I think Jen's dad was around. I don't know why. Yeah. And then, Worried about us. Probably. Yeah. And then, yeah, I had a little cry into the freezer. That was a bad one. Yeah. And he's like, you okay? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, please tell me he didn't say I told you so at this point. <laughs> <laughs> No, we had, a, we had we'd had our little boy by then as well. So yeah, boy, Millie yeah. Panda. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, but this is the thing as uh, as entrepreneurs, right? People don't really necessarily they see success and they just think it's just this wonderfully you know level trajectory upwards. Yeah. yeah. But you know who who could have in their right mind have projected twenty twenty. And, and yeah. what yeah. what happened as a result of that? Yeah, it was horrific for the first, I think, three weeks. We had literally nothing to do. We locked the doors. We took home a shit ton of wine from the cellar. <laughs> and we had an 18-month-old that you had to try and entertain, which, yeah, you know, who... we didn't bank on being full-time parents 24 hours a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, you know, everyone went through the same thing, locked away and whatever else. So it... It was after three weeks, again, you know, a lot of businesses is based around sort of, I say right place, right time, but meeting connections that you don't know are going to be anything that, that soon become. And then, uh, so I'm pointing a buzz, no one can see that. So our landlord, Manchester Central, was a government, then took over and said, we're taking this site for the next 18 months in case we need to build a hospital. And they built a hospital within... I think it was like nine weeks. Yeah. It was something incredible. Right. But the chief, so, you know, one of the, what are they called? Nightingale, Nightingale Hospital. Hospital. So they built the Nightingale Hospital directly above us. I remember, sorry to interrupt. I remember one of the first things that they started building that you could see from our doorway. So Manchester Central above us, and to get it, you kind of go around and you go up a ramp. And I remember, like, looking out of the doorway to our, to our cocktail bar, I remember thinking, like, they're putting some huge tanks up there. Like, what the hell is it? And realising they were enormous oxygen tanks. Right. And the real, like, heart-sinking kind of feeling when you realise that this is a hospital for people. Like, it just was... Yeah. It was a realisation that this is serious. Yeah, fairly serious, yeah. Yeah, and Instantly it was... Instantly meant to wash your hands. It just, <laughs> no, it just, like, maybe... Yeah, it really kind of like got to me that that's that's oxy, they're, they're installing huge, like you can clearly see from the road oxygen tanks, and it, it was a realization of how serious this this actually is now. Yeah, and, so and to back to Seb about we got a phone call from the chief exec saying, "Have you got any alcohol?" And it's like, yeah, it's funny that we closed the distillery, we got, and we still got access to it because we still should be taking thousands of liters a month. Mm. And then he said, "Well, let me put you in touch with." the sergeant major first it was a procurement team of yeah of the nightingale because it was that point when all the sanitizer had been bought by everyone and effectively they couldn't open unless they had hand sanitizer because it was the only thing that was known to kill coronavirus and they needed i think it's like 200 or 300 bottles to open but they had six days and yes i think i got a call on the friday and it had to be delivered on the friday otherwise they couldn't open legally without it right so now you have the the your own pressures and the pressure of saving lives yeah but do you know what for it, the crack you know but it, it it actually gave us something to do yeah yeah 
because you're used to running your business, you know, it's not really five days a week. You think about it when you go home, you think about it at the weekends. So it's a really a seven day thing. And also, we could put Nico, our little boy, into a nursery. What about the nursery? That because we suddenly became um, key workers. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we started making sanitizer for them. Yeah. And I would also point out at complete cost price, so we didn't yeah. make a penny on it because, no you know, looking back in it. 10 years' time, I didn't want to, if it was, and there was people dying up there, I didn't want to be profiteering mm. from that. We you know we're yeah. spirit makers, we're not hospital suppliers so we did that we gave some to christie's and then some dentists around um but it gave us something to do and but where i'm going to next is because alcohol was so scarce we were talking to to our usual supplier and then they didn't have any and then they said well you can only have what your allowance is that you would have taken pre-covid it's like great i'll take three three ibcs please and then oh i haven't got it so but you've just told me i can take what i usually take so in the end, found a new alcohol supplier, and they were like, we've only got rum molasses. And it's still 96% or 95%, 96%. So he said, we've only got that. Will that do you? I was like, well, yeah, because we're making hand sanitizer from it. So we got sent high-strength rum, effectively. Right. And then it was in there, and we'd made some sanitizer. And then it was at this point that the huge organizations had actually kick-started into making sanitizer. So then... And the Nightingale at this point also closed down, so we weren't required to make that anymore because it went into effectively hibernation. Yeah. So then we're there, and then ultimately, if you put some new booze in front of a distiller, you'll start thinking, actually, what can we do with this? And maybe yeah. we can make Because I'd seen a couple of botanical rums at that point, which is effectively taking everything you've learned from gin making about balancing all these flavours. And, and we always talk about gin... And any distillation, when you're using botanicals, it's a balance of flavour. So the only difference between Gordon Ramsay's Michelin star stew and your grandma's stew is it's just the balance of flavour that you end up on a journey of flavour and you can taste all these different elements along the way rather than being blinded by one particular uh, one particular flavour. Yeah. So it's then that we started thinking about and making our One-Eyed Rebel botanical rum. And it goes from that point that we'd always wanted to make a rum, but whether we ever would or not, I'm not sure. So again, it gave us a little bit of free space and headspace because, you know, at this point, I think the bar was closed for the next eight months and it was like, well, we're going to need to do something. We can't mm. just sit on our hands. And that was where One Eyed Rebel was born out of, but it came from making sanitizer for the Nightingale Hospital. So that's remarkable. Good and bad things can come out of everything i suppose yeah but i suppose you're just spotting an opportunity when it's presented itself it's not necessarily it wasn't in your uh, your strategy as it were I'm trying to stop said being bored yeah I'm bored. Me. <laughs> because jen runs pretty much the entire business and i'm the ideas man no. yeah. uh, you're going you're going to play with booze basically That's... yeah well play with booze play with you know like rotav apps that we i insisted we needed to buy now that's an integral part of so we've got, it's called the Rotovac, which is it's next to me, which I'm pointing at it. It's a vacuum distillation. So you distill at much lower temperatures than you usually would. Right. So instead of distilling at 90 degrees, you're distilling at 35 degrees. So you can be a much more softer, balanced flavor. She's like, give me the business plan as to what you're going to do with it. I was like, I, know, I want one. <laughs> uh, that, that, was thought, a, that was the business plan. I learned that from my child. I think me, and at this point, we had a new head distiller in. Said, yeah, we could definitely use it. And she's like, what do you use it for? It's like, well, until we get it, we can't, you know, because it, it's a it's a very, well, it's not, it, it's, I think it's about 15 grand, 
but until you have it, you can't replicate that because you need to distill under vacuum. And there's only one way to realise when you do it. So again, born out from that. In... Didn't they lend us one to mess around They did it? lend us one. Yeah. And we started doing loads of Macerates and we found that that was where our rebrand of our Manchester Spirit uh, Botanical Vodka came from, is that we were distilling coffee at, at 30, 35 degrees. So instead of burning it and getting that sort of, not acrid, but bitter, bitter yep. notes you were getting, something that smelled like you'd just opened a bag of coffee. Right. And so again, from that sort of experimentation was born our, I say our rebrand, our first vodka is still exactly the same, but we've managed to release three three other flavours with the grapefruit and the the coffee and the tonka, which are an incredibly like, bold and vivid flavours that it's you soft. simply couldn't get in a normal distilling world because you end up ruining the flavour effectively. Right. Yeah. Well, again, I I think I mentioned it right at the top of the show. This is a story of evolution. You have evolved as humans, but you've evolved your product and your business as things have happened. And, you know, an opportunity has presented itself, basically, and and, uh, and changing the way that you operate, even. We also, I would point out, it's probably used 50% of the time by our cocktail bar now. Mm. So we're striving to become one of the top 50 cocktail bars in the country. We won last year the best bar team. The best bar team in the top fifty, but just missed out on the top fifty. And it's this kind of use of invention that so we do we've got clear Negronis and clear Espresso martinis. Espresso martinis that are coming out completely crystal clear but are packed full of this flavour and it's so it's probably used as much in the bar in the bar as it is within yeah. the distillery now as well. So that is right. moving forward. Hopefully, our, we've got a new cocktail menu launching September. September, which I forgot. No, the other one was based around distillation. What's this one based around? I don't know. <laughs> it's got a theme, but effectively, you, there's, I think out. there's only two cocktails that you could, out of 16, that you could go to any shop, any premium shop of spirits and, and bitters makers that you could actually make at home because there's sous vide rum elements there is infusions there is bitters bitters rotobat distillates like a limoncello yeah Yeah. so yeah it's helped in that and again you've got to make sure everyone's sort of using that and sort of striving for the same thing yeah 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 i come back to your uh your rum product i love the the name by the way one-eyed rebel i assume that's a a nod to pirates uh being the old hearty sea dogs that they are salty sea dogs yeah, well, it always started because we wanted three words. You did. I wanted three words for the brand because <laughs> I like three-worded brands, if that makes sense. Right. So my friend got a bar called BCD, which is Behind Closed Doors, and I like that you can abbreviate it to BCD or, you know, uh, uh, what's the one in New York? PDT. PDT, please don't tell. Three words again. So I was obsessed with that, and so we've got OER, which is One Eyed Rebel. And it, well, actually, when you say it out loud, it does sound like what pirates say, doesn't it? Wow. Something like that. <laughs> I'm stealing that one. <laughs> That's another reason we did it. Thank you for reminding me. Because uh, it sounds like, arr. I'm going to go and tell the team that after this. It's all right. I'll take 10% of all of your profits going forward. We'll call it. Sounds it's reasonable. fine. Sounds From any tagline that you use, arr. Yeah. Um, is that the parrot, or is that the. Uh... I don't think it's Yeah. Yeah. Do not, they? The pirate, what? Yes. Sounds like a farmer. No, that would be ooh <laughs> there's, there's a nuance. 
Yes. Well, I, again, lucky enough to have tried uh, a couple of your uh, One-Eyed Rebel products, the uh, passion fruit and coconut. Yeah. Unbelievable. Again, over rice on its own would be enough, but even the, the, you sent a serving suggestion with some ginger ale. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. 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 So you, you, yeah. you clearly... Do you arrive at these flavor pairings, again, through research and development, or do you just think, oh, that would be really nice with a ginger ale? There's so a lot of tasting. You, there's a lot of tasting those on because, again, you know people are going to mix it with Coke, and that is absolutely fine. They've been developed to be mixed with Coke, but, you know, we're, like I say, trying to become a top 50 cocktail bar, and we want to show that there's other things you can do with it. So, again, go and find your own serving just because, I mean, we use – Jen hates ginger ale. I don't hate it. You think it's an affront to ginger beer? I, I just – Ginger beer is when it's actually fermented. And brewed. And brewed. And, yeah, whereas ginger ale is... Ginger ale is just flavoured. Like yeah. just keep coming with the education. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, much to Jen's displeasure, we serve, and I can't remember which one, you'll, you'll have it on the serving card. One is served with ginger ale, one is served with ginger beer, and, and Jen was not happy, and then ultimately so, you tried them side by side, and it's yeah. like, yeah, that one's better, because you're getting those notes of these other things. And I think our... Uh, original is in the bar served with a mandarin mandarin soda, soda yeah. which again is incredible but it still works incredibly well with coke but it's for us about what we're trying to do in, in Three Little Words in the cocktail bar is we we wanted Three Little Words to showcase you know we've got some of the most awarded products in the world we wanted to be able to showcase them uh, you know as as in an ideal setting, you know, in a, in a perfect drink that we've carefully curated. And what we try to do with all the other drinks, be it beers, wines, other kind of spirit mixer pairings, is, is make sure they are curated in the sense that we're showcasing them in their best light or the beers that we have are selected because they're local, you know, we believe in the brand, we, you know, their values are aligned to us. So we want it to... We want to support local, but show an offering that is as curated and as ideal as possible, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you you continue to evolve to this day. You mentioned whiskey earlier on, but you also have, we'll talk about the whiskey in a second, but you also have, you do tours of your mm. distillery. You, I, I think you mentioned earlier on as well that people can make their own gin as well yeah so, i mean we've had that uh, sort of since we opened that you could do your uh, you can come in for a simple tour i think it's 25 quid you get to see the whole distillery try gin and tonic try most of our products because we'd rather you try them all and find one or two that you love and hopefully go to the shop afterwards yeah we've got a gin based one where you can try a number of our gins but then we also have a taste the distillery where you can try vodkas rums gins vermouth, vermouth as absinthe. well so you can try the the range of products that we made, or you can just focus on a selection of the gins. Yeah, we did actually in, in lockdown break the world record for the largest gin tasting. Not officially. Not officially, because you have to pay five grand for that. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think Craft Gin Club have now beaten us with one I was on, so I'm still saying I'm a record holder. <laughs> but yeah, we broke the world record. We had Philip Schofield on there. We had all sorts of people on there. So yeah, that was, and we did that from our dining room at home. So yeah, that's when you talk about the evolution. The evolution. Yeah fucking ball ache to package up uh four it was four miniatures four tonics two glasses i spent two days just cutting different lengths of bubble wrap and that was hellish that's when we we converted the bar into effectively a production line for making gin tasting sets so that's how effective we took the distillery out when you couldn't visit anywhere so 
Yeah. That was Fiona's idea, and, and it was a good idea, but it was fucking annoying package. <laughs> But, you know, some of the, the, especially at the time, I suppose, it's the things that you have to do to keep yourself on the map in a time where everybody's like trying to find themselves. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. yeah. It was about, it wasn't about making money for it because they didn't make hardly any money. But it, like I say, it's keeping relevant, reminding people you're there for when yeah. you can open again, come and have the real experience. Yeah. And of course, at that point, you'd have been probably not knowing when we were opening again. So it's like no. we just keep hoping and keep doing this yeah. and then people will remember we thought we'd do one of them and then reopen and then it kept extending kept seeing like fucking hell so we did three from home and then we got our brand team to do some for businesses for christmas parties that again you're packaging up 20 30 yeah. 40 50 100 of those at each time that were going to all the employees houses for the something more to get on a giant zoom and and really get involved that way so yeah it was it was good to do the first three uh then we had to film a christmas one yeah yeah yeah, so it was good. You know, it was really good. And it was it was essential for one to keep us sane and two to like say keep the business at the forefront of other people's minds. So yeah, it, it, again, it goes to that evolution of what you have to do and and then sort of wait and hope for the successful reopening. Yeah. So let's let's talk about whiskey. Um, I'm conscious of time, but we uh, I'm, I, we definitely you can hear my accent. The um, yeah. whiskey is quite. Although I, sh- I should say this, I don't know why I was looking to see if anybody was watching then, but as a Scotsman, I, yeah. I'm not really a massive whiskey fan, which I know is sacrilege and I'll never be allowed back over the border. But No, and dare I say and dare I be as bold. And again, it comes down to personal preference before anyone attacks me later for this. I don't think I've tried a Scotch whiskey I like. Right. And so maybe it's your constantly drinking Scotch whiskey, which is for me a little bit heavier potentially spent a little bit too long in the wood because I'm a big rum drinker and you know I get 21 year old rum but it's actually a Salerno method where it's blended in from anything from three to to 21 and there's probably five percent of the 21 year old but you still put 21 in the bottle um which you know I'm not suggesting we do that with whiskey although I'd like I think it'd be interesting but you mentioned with a much softer potentially sweeter product albeit starting with a, a sweeter product to start with Jen's laughing at me because I'm rambling. <laughs> but what we're doing with our English whiskey, and we are, it is an English whiskey. It's not, it is made in Manchester, but it's not Manchester whiskey. It's an English whiskey. We're sacrificing a bit of yield by using, and I won't say the percentages, different percentages of brewing barley, whereby you're adding a lot more flavour, which means you can have a much younger whiskey that's packed full of all these flavours because you're not just using distiller's malt and distiller's yeast which is pretty much, I think, 99% or maybe 98% of the whiskey made in Scotland is distiller's malt use it with distiller's yeast. And so I think, again, it, for us, we always talk about we're obsessed with flavour and, you know, nothing we've released we're not proud of and, and that's why we're able to talk so sort of passionately about it. But for us, it's always about flavour first, flavour first, flavour first. We'll worry about how much it costs to make it afterwards. It's all about getting that flavour right. And so for us, we'll be creating a much softer whiskey, potentially a more accessible whiskey. And again, using, I think we're using four different yeast strains. Again, one of which is a 5,000th generation beer yeast that we're getting from uh, a brewery called JW Lees, which is 160 years old, 150 years old. I think this yeast is at least 35 years old. Crikey. And we have to get a fresh delivery, or we have to go pick it up every week. 
And it's about that gives you much more fruity notes. And we want a fruitier, lighter whiskey that, well, I always say, and you know, some of the bigger uh, uh, Scotch whiskies that have got a 21 year old release. That was obviously still 21 years ago, but that recipe probably hasn't changed another 21 years before that. And then, so you're looking at a whiskey that was had its recipe written in the 80s, maybe even the early 70s. And if you think how much the flavor profile of this country has changed and how how palates have evolved to be so much more open to these more delicate, more nuanced flavors, I think that is a potential real space that younger whiskies and whether more traditional scotch whiskies start releasing experimentational ranges where they can start using some of these lower yields because ultimately they've got a target market that love their product so they can't just change the recipe and then you know in three years time show oh we've changed it all doesn't matter yeah so i think you'll probably see more scotch whiskies coming out with a an experimentation range which is what jameson's have done with made method and madness but i think yes some of the english whiskies that are coming out now are incredibly diverse and it and it's so i think it's dare i say potentially a lot more diverse already with only a handful of distilleries that are producing whiskey than a lot of scotch whiskey because you know you've either got petered or unpetered and then you've got age in the barrel we have i think english whiskey distilleries have an opportunity because we're not we don't have the heritage you know we don't have the restrictions and the regulations that a lot of scotch is kind of made under really you know we don't have to we don't have to just use distillers malt distillers yeast we we've got more flexibility in what we well, can. They can change what they yeah um, but they're all i mean we can you have to i think i'm right in saying it has to be aged in oak to be called scotch whiskey right as long as ours is in wood of some variety and so you can start experimenting you know chestnut wood and there's all these other amazing woods is it manzar no that's Apple That's in Apple in Chinese. Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, English whiskey is a lot freer because we only follow the European, and I don't want to say the bare minimum, but, you know, it has to be in a barrel three years in a day. It has to be aged in wood. It has to be made using English barley. And to be called single malt has to be uh, 100% malted. But we have a chance in England to really put a mark a marker on the world. You know, Japanese whiskey 20 years ago, but outside of Asia wasn't that big. And then there's been this huge explosion. So yeah. if you go to a whiskey shop, you get Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, American bourbon or whiskey and Japanese whiskey. And then you like, and they're like, they're like, Oh, that bottom shelf there is the rest of the world. Yeah. Right. You know, we've been distilling in this country for, I don't know how many centuries, but for some reason we just stopped making whiskey. Right. And we only started in 2008 again. So it's such a young market that has got, I think, so much more to grow and could be so much more interesting and diverse. And I, I'm really looking forward to in 10 years' time when you go into a whiskey shop and you find there is an English section. Yeah, well, that, you're, you're twisting my arm to give it a go, for sure, because uh, you might be right. I've no idea whether uh, it, it, it's definitely... I don't know whether I just tried it at the wrong stage of my life and I've been burnt for years as a result of it. But yeah, given how good your other products are that you've sent me, I will definitely be trying everything else that you have to offer <laughs> and any future brews uh, it's not really is it a brew future distill distills uh so i mean we we brew uh, we mash which is effectively brewing the whiskey before we distill it so yeah right yeah go with the products and then you've covered yourself in case we release a beer let it go oh, a up we won't do uh, we we make we might make beer 
for the bar, but I'm, I, it, I, there's such amazing beers out there. Jen, <laughs> yeah, Jen's shaking her head at the moment. Oh, or, yeah, so we'd rather open a super distillery. There's another business case coming my way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've drawn a can. No. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, we'd rather focus on the super distillery, which will be building. It would take us to maybe one of the top 20, 15 producers of whiskey in the UK, in England, sorry, to being one of the top five or six. Right. Yeah. Well, it definitely from the outside looking in, it feels like you're absolutely moving forward. And as I say, and I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that I might have said this once or twice on this podcast, but your products are amazing. I well, don't have shares in the company. Let's just be <laughs> clear about that. From the outset, but um, all at once. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a couple more things just before we wrap up. I'm, I am conscious of time, but what's you've got whiskey in the pipeline? Well, that's there already by the looks of things. What's the future? What's next? I think, like I say, I think our focus is uh, international growth for the rum and obviously the gins and vodkas, which is starting to come through now, and it's about not being so not beholden to one product but to show the world and sometimes it's a little bit hard to get other countries that don't really have a heritage in gin but they might have a heritage in vodka or rum so it's about using our portfolio across the world uh, and i think finding a site for this new distillery we've got one in mind already that we're in tentative discussions with but it's you know the, the site for the new distillery has to be right because effectively we'll run whiskey tours out of there we will need to be producing, you know, it wants to be capable of producing half a million bottles of whiskey a year. Right. And I'm not suggesting by any stretch that's what we're going to do the first day we turn the kit on. Yeah. You need to give yourself that 15, 20 year capacity. Yeah, you're not you're not buying to service now, you're buying to service the future. Correct. And that is the thing, and the really exciting thing about English whiskey is at the moment, we'll probably produce around 35,000 bottles in the next calendar year maybe 75% of that would be sold with only holding about 25%, whereas you want to be really producing 120,000 bottles, selling 50% selling 50 and holding back 50%. So it's about getting that capacity in early doors so that you can actually really ramp it up. Yeah. And then what else would you say? We're thinking of, of starting to look at the, the gin brand again and maybe oh, yeah. redoing maybe having a tweak of that because it'll be what six it's six years old now so because we'll again to relaunch your own brand with a new custom bottle a new design it's a 15 16 month process yeah right um, so we've got that in the pipeline for that for, we are heavily considering yeah about just a, a not a refresh a, a refresh not a full rebrand a, brand but a new refresh a new bottle maybe a new bottle just to keep kind of fresh and exciting, really. And, you know, we have got a very loyal customer base that, honestly, the, the amount of people that kind of buy everything that we, we release, you know, that have followed our journey since we started, that probably met us at one of those kind of very early gin festivals that we did and have kind of followed us since. So to be able to kind of, you know, do something, you know, the next chapter in, in Manchester Gin and, with a new bottle or a new identity would be really nice. Fantastic. Yeah, well, not a lot then. So nothing really yeah. in the pipeline. The whole lot. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I, I, we've obviously spoken a lot about your products. If we spark some interest from anybody who's listening 
either in trade or direct, what's the best method for them to, to reach out to you guys to just go to the website at the, I'm sure, I, I don't, I've not designed the website, so I, I don't know. I just go to the forum <laughs> and take gin. I've never ordered it online. Manchestergin.co.uk. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Everything will be there. Forever else, but yeah. yeah. Or info at spirit, info at spirit of Manchester distillery. If they, tell you what, if anyone kind of emails in info at spiritmanchesterdistillery.co.uk and reference your podcast, we can give them 10% off code. Oh, there you go. Oh, hello there. Fantastic. We well, can that's, do that. That's great. Well, that also gives you a return on an investment, doesn't it, of uh, whether actually anybody's listening. <laughs> no, that's awesome, guys. Look, I, when I uh, started this podcast, I, uh, I, I had no idea what kind of journeys and stories I'd hear um, ever since your people reached out to my people. I don't have any people. Um, <laughs> somebody reached out to me and said, you might want to consider these guys. I, I, you absolutely sparked my interest. Your story doesn't disappoint. In many ways, you're still quite a young business. You've got a, a lot of years ahead, sorry to say. But well, Jen's really old. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just love the fact that the podcast has brought me to stories like yours because you kind of epitomize all that is good and, and wholesome. And I mean that in a, a, a good way, not a boring way, uh, yeah, yeah. A, about business and uh, and why you get into something in the first place. And you, you guys are clearly incredibly passionate about what you do. And I wish you nothing but success for the next chapters. Yeah, and thank you very much for having us. Yeah. My Hopefully absolute pleasure. You along the journey as the various different whiskies released. So. Yeah, no, indeed. Well, we'll come. We'll just we'll come doing uh, special tasting sessions or something like that on on a podcast. I'd be up for that. Yeah, absolutely, fantastic. Cool. good stuff. Thanks so much, guys. Take Thanks. care. Cheers. Bye. And there we have it. I think we can all agree that Jen and Seb's journey has been amazing, and I would urge you to take advantage of their very kind offer. Just email them directly and mention our show. I'll be back next Wednesday with the season finale for season two where I'm doing something very, very different. But until then, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.